Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. Well, sounding somehow like uh, Spirit, that's a, an old 60s band for an, and 70s band from San Francisco, uh, who some, some people uh, say that Led Zeppelin's soul stay away from heaven from. But, um, but that's not who that was. But they just kind of sounded like them on a kind of Sunday picnic, really. Uh, who they are are the Universal Liberation Orchestra. Great name. Uh, a track called Communion. And... If you've never heard them before, I'll tell you this, that they are a Midwestern act originally assembled back in the 1980s as a five-piece where they were known as the Cleveland Collective. Um, then they became a duo, uh, two brothers, River and Tom Smith, um, and then they became Universe. They put out two albums in the 80s, and then they disappeared, apparently, into obscurity. But the story doesn't stop there because they followed... The, that history up with Communion, a private press cassette release that's been carefully repackaged as part of the Freedom to Spend's newly minted Uncommon Sense series. So Freedom to Spend is a label to watch. They're finding all kinds of gems and treasures from the past. Um, and uh, before that, uh, you heard Common Villain, Subtle Bodies. That was Common Villain using her tub neck, no, tub... I mean, dub, techno and granular tones. Uh, and she was kind of describing musically the performance sculptures of uh, Anna Mendieta. Um, and you can get that on Small Town Super Sound label, Only Love From Now On, and it's out at the end of this month. But right now, here, uh, midway through the month, um, it's time to say hello to Anna Disley Simpson. Hi, Anna. Um, well... Um, just say, just say that again. <laughs> Hi there, thank you for having yes, me. Yes, that's excellent. Now we can hear you. Um, that's good. Um, so, uh, Anna, you seem to have been, I know it's a cliche, but one of the hardest working people in showbiz. Um, I've just looked, I've just looked at, uh, you know, what, what comes with the album, um, for, uh, 
you know the the young composer's scheme um and um you've you've just done an amazing amount of of things you know you've you've done work with the Gesualdo six on the one hand and on the other hand uh with juice um so um how come and you've been teaching and you've been writing um how long how long have you had this momentum yeah i think um i've always been someone that gets bored quite easily so <laughs> that does help um kind of that lends itself to quite a varied career um, and I have a lot of varied interests and quite a varied background as well. I think um, working on the album with NYC, I was quite keen for those different backgrounds to come across. So whilst I have um, all of this background that involves choral music, I also have a big interest in pop music and played in bands growing up and, and wanted a bit of that to come into the palette that I was kind of using. Um, yeah. Um, so what was it, um, like one, I mean, were, were you actually on tenterhooks wondering whether you'd kind of got into this, uh, young composer scheme or did they just go out and choose four people and that was it? I mean, was there a competition or, or what? Um, that was a bit of a process. I think we had to do a written application, um, which is quite typical, but then we had a really lovely interview process after that as well, um, where I think they'd created a shortlist and it was all on Zoom at this point. So it was a little bit out of everyone's comfort zones, um, but it was largely just a really nice chat. And we were with Ben Parry and we were lucky to have Cheryl Francis Hode on the panel as well um, to just talk a bit about our music really and to talk about the scheme and I think we all found out later that day after the interviews whether we'd got onto the scheme um but then it wasn't announced for a few months after that so that was a bit strange um yeah but now it's announced and now it's even on Soho Radio goodness me so um so how how does it work now there, there's an album uh, which uh, on which all four of you appear and I think you've all got two tracks each and we're going to hear your tracks in a moment but um but what does the future hold with being uh, a part of the scheme I mean are there concerts through the year or yeah so we've actually got a streamed concert um, happening this Tuesday on the 15th um, I believe at 6 30 um, it's all free and available for anyone with a phone or a laptop and we spent earlier this week filming our pieces for that as well as some interviews um, there's a piece by Ben Parry in there as well and that's really the culmination of the past year or so that we've spent creating these pieces and um, working with the NYC members and having workshops and all sorts we had a real large amount of co contact time through the last year um, that has really ended up with a really special album I think um, so I'm excited for that uh, yeah and if people want to um, find that stream presumably they just google NYCGB that will be National yeah. Youth Choirs of Great Britain yes it's all on the NYCGB website and on their various social media platforms as well um, yeah okay so um, maybe we should start um with February Twilight. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Because we shall soon be there in February Twilight. Um, right. Okay. And uh, 
That sounds exactly like this. That's February Twilight by uh, Anna Disley Simpson, um, who is uh, here via Zoom, talking to me um, about her two compositions. Um, so uh, you've set a poem to music there. Um, do you read a lot of poetry or do you actually know Sarah Teasdale? Um, I did know her, but I, do, I spend a lot of time searching for texts for choral music for vocal pieces that I'm writing and find it to be actually probably the hardest stage but when you find a text that is so right for the type of piece that you want to create um that's it really it becomes so much easier after that and I, I found with um a real delicate balance to strike is finding a piece that is out of copyright unless you're you know, have the funds um, to pay the copyright fees. But also I wanted something that felt quite modern. And I, I found I found with the Sarah Teasdale um, piece, it really does sound like it could have been written really recently. It's got a real simplicity and clarity to it, which is the qualities that I try and get across in my music as well. I don't like things to be too crowded um, or busy or dense and and so I feel like this type of poetry really lends itself um, to the type of vocal music especially that I write. Um, it is very crepuscular as a, a twilight piece <laughs> should be um, and is that kind of one of the kind of musical environments you like to create? I think so yeah I think um, I almost thought of the second piece um, so February Twilight was the second piece that I wrote after the first one and I almost wanted to be a stark contrast to the first one thinking of the first one as quite bright and almost like the daylight version and this is the nocturnal um, introspective um, pared down version of my compositional voice if that makes any sense and it's for eight voices this one and I, I wanted them to have a real um, uh, kind of unity between them um so yeah but but landscapes gen generally and I think for a lot of other composers are, are really um a good thing to picture when when writing music you want to kind of convey that either vastness or really closeness or um you know things like the temperature and and the light and the expanse things like that um so Yes, is the answer to that question. <laughs> Take us through the piece just a little, giving us an idea of the musical narrative and how you've created and why you've created it in, in that pattern. I mean, what I noted noticed was that um, there's, there's this kind of um, beautiful continuous presence. I mean, it's, it's not a drone because it's made out of several harmonies, but it's kind of always there while... Mm -hmm. um, the male and female voices kind of 
gather on either side of that. And it, it is a bit like, um, you know, it's it's a bit like being near a, a fire that's just glowing embers and the glowing embers are glowing all the time and people come into view and speak and then move out again. That's That was what I was imagining, but I mean... Absolutely. But, yeah, that's a really beautiful way of putting it. Um, I suppose, yeah, similarly, I my idea behind it was that this is quite the poetry is describing quite an introverted uh, and introspective um, experience, almost a feeling of loneliness. And I suppose the element of the voices gradually joining into that kind of indicates how, whilst loneliness is a very solitary thing by its very nature, it's something that everyone experiences. Um, so I, yeah, I suppose that was my thinking behind it by the gradual kind of build up and addition of the harmonic layers there. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it is very beautiful. Um, tell me, when, when you are setting uh, poetry to music, do you find a way that somehow the, the poetry, the words actually communicate a melody to you and that somehow it's, it's unalterable? unalterable do you see what i mean that you see a a chain of words on the page and you say them and and suddenly the rhythm of the words suggests a melody and and then you just can't avoid it is that is, is that the process yeah absolutely and that's a that's a big part of um what makes me decide to set a poem or not is kind of thinking how does this sound when i read it out loud and what are the rhythms of the words like how does it feel to say and that kind of almost without thinking kind of unconsciously translates into how you would treat that musically and how um, the gestures would um, come across and yeah so yeah language and the rhythm of the language specifically is very very important I think. Um, well let's um, let's look at and listen indeed to um the other piece that you wrote for this that's the way through the woods now this is um a sort of inescapably timely piece isn't it in terms of a message absolutely um it's a setting of the rudyard kipling poem and the way i kind of interpreted it was that it was giving a voice to these animals and ecosystems that live in this particular proverbial set of woods um giving a voice to them in a way that means that they refuse to be kind of silenced or taken down by human destruction, human destruction in this case being um, a man-made road going through these woods. Um, yeah, and I think the the kind of style of it, the, the looping, the pop sort of rhythmical language in particular, um, gives it a little bit of a almost protest song um, element to it but then it's got this really I guess more typically choral payoff moment as well of really luscious chords um, when the dynamics really swell in the piece so yeah I'm pleased with it they, they, they performed this really really well Thank you. 
Yeah, um, I see what you mean. It is uh, in stark contrast to the other piece, and I know they appear in a different order on the album, but I think they work that way too. It, it's fascinating because I'm not sure exactly what Rudyard Kipling's after in there, but it, it, he's obviously saying that, you know, the, the woods, the wilderness has recovered from a road having been there and you know, having been uh, kind of grown over by vegetation and creatures and things. And um, and yet you're using it in exactly the opposite way, aren't you? You're saying, look, we're laying waste to the woods. Yeah, absolutely. And it, yeah, it was very much to do with um, the NYCGB theme of the year. They're doing a lot of work to do with climate and the environment and kind of big extensions of that theme and everything. So that's that was kind of the thinking behind that as well. Um, but that, that soundscape at the start, for example, that was very much developed in a workshop with them and was largely their idea. They thought, what about if we started with this whole kind of multi-textured idea of woodland sounds that would then kind of dovetail into my more like melodic looped ideas that come in later um so that was a really nice element of kind of collaboration there um with that piece i mean just moving away from the piece just for a moment so mm. um so this didn't work like you know you didn't just send the music in to ben and ben then musically directed it you were actually there and you know there was some kind of communication between you and them and you know, it, it evolved between you. Is that how it works? Yeah, completely. And I think that's one of the really distinctive things about the scheme was how collaborative it was with um, both the fellows, who are the kind of choral leaders that are picked every year, along with the composers, but also the members themselves. Um, there's a real um, kind of attitude that lends itself to this kind of back and forth interaction between composer and performer, um, just because they're so enthusiastic, they're, they're so up for getting involved and responded so well to what was initially just a few pages of kind of melodic ideas. Um, they really understood um, what I'd articulated about the overall concept and they, they really ran with that. And it was a really lovely set of group discussions, but also individual conversations with members um is super super positive um it, it's it sounds quite a theatrical piece i mean uh you know once again you can you can imagine um a whole kind of uh, story going on in front of you but it felt like they were walking you know you had that kind of well it's not marching but it's a kind of walking motif um underneath um so i it just makes me wonder uh, have you written any music for theatre? No, but uh, well, not theatre, but I've done little bits of film um, music and I generally love to work with any kind of visual element, really. So it's something that I am really looking to move towards, actually, theatre and maybe even opera, um, to kind of have all of these elements. To me, it's just more kind of collaboration, which I think is what I personally really thrive off of when when writing music, um, but I've done a lot with um, 
spoken word artists and poets and dancers as well. So I suppose that comes under that kind of theatrical umbrella. Um, but yeah, I think it's this piece is, is the type of thing that should be heard live as well. I think that really adds to um, the theatricality of it, seeing you know hundreds of performers doing this piece all at once, I think would be really special. Um, and would they be standing still or would it be more like a Meredith Monk piece where the, you know, the, the singers move and they only sing when they move and they only move when they sing? I hadn't thought, I hadn't thought of any kind of choreographed element, but maybe that's something we should consider. Uh, I'm very open to the possibility. I found out the other day that um, Stainer and Bell, who are actually one of the partners of the scheme, um, want to publish it. So hopefully that means... Um, that it will reach a lot of other choirs and hopefully they will do a lot of different things with the piece and yeah I'm very open to people treating it how they would like really. And um, and did Rudyard Kipling's estate have anything to say about it? Luckily Rudyard Kipling is out of copyright I believe um, he went out of copyright in the last 20 years or so so yeah. um oh it's seven, yeah. it's 70 odd years isn't it or maybe it's 75 it's now. Like that. yeah right. i think he passed in the 30s so yeah. i think i can see he died in 1936 well, no, like yeah yeah mm. hmm. um well uh it, it looks like uh you've got um a kind of multifaceted multifaceted future in front of you and you also do music technology or is that something you teach rather than you do I don't how can you teach yeah, without doing I, it? <laughs> when I graduated I started teaching in a school um, which was largely music technology and I do very much involve it in my work as well um, usually more with my instrumental music rather than my vocal music but I have a bit of a background in in pop music and production and things like that so yeah i dabble and actually probably working with juice they like a bit of technology in there don't they so um i don't know yeah absolutely yeah working with them was extremely formative so yeah absolutely i know they're, they're great um but anyway mm -hmm. that that's that's a lovely piece um one of the other things I notice about, um, you know, the notes about uh, your biography uh, is how many competitions, A, you've won, and B, that means you must have entered them. I just wondered if you don't sometimes think, God, I can't part with this stress anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose I'm having a little bit of a phase of that now. I'm I'm hoping to apply for a master's and so that's very much my focus at the moment rather than kind of competition after competition but I, I really um have seen the value in those as well regardless of um whether you're a winner of them and then it looks very impressive on your cv and all of that it's it's more that i've met most of my peers um other composers and other musicians through doing things like that um and that kind of just went beyond um just my conservatoire education or my school education it was it was um yeah the wider industry i suppose um so i yeah i saw a lot of value nice and and i suppose it's like in a way uh you it's kind of the route for um contemporary classical musicians really there are competitions and i suppose it's always been that way uh in in western classical music you know 
Yeah, definitely. I think particularly for young composers or emerging composers, um, it's a real surefire way of, of getting yourself out there and getting your music heard um, in an industry that, that is just more and more saturated. Um, so, yeah. Uh, where are you, or oh, maybe I shouldn't ask, where you're applying to do your master's? <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I want to say, just in case no, it fair completely... Enough. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I suddenly happen. thought that I'd already half asked the question when <laughs> when that happened. Sorry about that. Um, okay, so aside from that confidential piece of information, um, <laughs> so kind of... What, what what have you got on at the moment apart from this um, amazing album? So I am writing more choral music. Um, I work a lot with um, particularly am amateur ensembles, um, which I find really rewarding. And um, I'm hoping this master's course will facilitate me doing a bit more theatrical stuff, like we were saying. Um, I really want to write a chamber opera. Um, so that is a big kind of focus for me at the moment as well um, and later this year I'm also releasing an EP of um, more chamber music type stuff a bit of vocal music in there as well but that will involve um, a bit of my production side and a little bit of writing for instruments and will be completely self-released so I'm really looking forward to to that then it's quite daunting as well because I've never done that before so um we will see that that will be out hopefully in the summer um yeah yeah I mean I I, I think um you know working film and theatre and television too um it it takes you out of your garret which is you know I mean composing can be quite a, a solitary occupation mm -hmm. uh, yeah absolutely I try. I very much try and move away from that. I think um, as many, I think many more composers are trying to do as well. Hence why this whole kind of collaborative element to any project I do, I, I find so much more valuable compared to the kind of commissions where you're maybe given a, a brief and you go away and you come back with a completed piece, which is absolutely fine. But um, there's not a lot of back and forth and yeah. Um, and also just extra musical elements just add a whole a whole other layer, I think, for both the composer and the consumer of said music and art and whatever it may be. Um, so just uh, in closing, um, let's kind of bookend your uh, <laughs> musical tastes. And so uh, who were your primary influences, uh, you know, when you were growing up? What did you listen to? Because, like you say, that you've, you've got a whole pop hinterland. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, a, a big um, um, a big moment for me was I went to my first ever music festival when I was, I think, maybe about fourteen years old, and it was a music festival called WOMAD, which um, has music from all over the world, and um, that's very much a thing. And I saw Imogen Heap there for the first time, who I think encompasses um, so many of my interests. She's on the one hand, this pop musician and does all of this incredible stuff with electronic music and production. Um, but she also has a bit of a classical background and would consider herself a composer at the same time. And um, 
so that's very much stayed with me her music and her wider work has stayed with me um and I suppose at the moment um kind of vocal composers specifically who I really love um there's Emily Hall who um is a singer herself um like I am and I think you can really tell when a singer is kind of writing for their own instrument as it were and I think she does that so beautifully um similarly Verity Standen um who's also a singer but she um works with groups as well and works with a lot of amateur voices and a lot of movement and video um, incorporated in her pieces as well so yeah those those guys for me for sure yeah it's interesting that you mentioned WOMAD um because uh you know i i guess i i hadn't really thought that because it's always a, a gathering of generations you know three or four generations of people yeah. and um and and so i just never thought that amongst them were people who were going to turn into the kind of composer that you are but great mm -hmm. And I, I can see the link with Imogen Heap for sure. Okay, well, thanks very much for uh, talking to us and thanks so much for writing that music. It's lovely. Um, and, uh, you know, have a great weekend, as they say. But just to repeat what you said, uh, if people want to hear um, this iteration of the National Youth Choirs of Great Britain Young Composers Scheme, uh, it next week, did you say Tuesday? Tuesday, 15th of February at 6.30pm, I believe. And you can find a link to a free ticket for that through their website or any of their social media platforms. Um, yeah, it'd be really great if people tuned in. We worked really hard the other day and it's sounding excellent. And, um, and so are you singing yeah. as well in that? No, no, no. We were just there. Um, it was a mixture of current and previous fellows of the NYC that were performing. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's streamed from the Voxes 8 Centre and um, everything sounds beautiful in there. So it would be really great um, for there to be a good audience for that. Well, that sounds excellent. OK, well, thank you very much. Um, have a great weekend so much, and uh, a great, con well, a great streaming next week. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, okay. Max. See you later. Okay. Bye-bye, Anna. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye.